Yes, this is awesome. Guys, well done. Welcome to the Salt Company kickoff. I, uh, my name is Jordan. Uh, I'm on staff with Salt Company, and I've gotten some weird questions from you guys this week. Uh, questions like, do you sell salt? Uh, I've gotten, do you have smelling salts? Which was an interesting one. I hadn't heard that one before. I've gotten, are you Mormons? Because uh, the Salt Lake Connection thing. Uh, I've gotten, like, can I have some salt? Which, like, it's like, no, bro. I don't just have salt on me, but I promise this dude that I would bring it. So if you're here, I forget your name. If you're here, I've got some salt for you. And not just some salt, this is some pink Himalayan salt. This is a good, this is like bougie salt, all right? So it's right here. What? Cool, good chat. All right, uh, so bro, if you're here, come talk to me afterwards. I'm getting you some salt. I'm not gonna throw it at you, that'd be dangerous. Okay, maybe my favorite uh, thing that happened this week was not a question, it was just a statement. Girl walks up and explore you kind of looks at her branding, looks at us, looks at our branding and goes, this is a bad name. It's like, bold, bold move. But it's like, it got you to talk to me. So boom, there you go. Okay, here's, here's the deal. This is what Salt Company is. There's a verse in the Bible. So this is a college ministry, if you haven't figured that out with the Jesus He songs. This is a college ministry. And there's a verse in the Bible that says, you are the salt of the earth. So salt obviously flavors food, but also back in the day, it was a preservative. And so kind of the idea is like, you should be a preserving influence in the world. You should be a flavorful influence in the world. The, the world should be a better place because you're here. And so that's what we're after is we want to make this world a better place through talking about Jesus, who is the best thing about living in this world. We're not perfect at that, but that's who we aim to be. So that's why we're called the Salt Company. Okay, first question addressed. Second question, some of you might be thinking literally right now is where is the pizza. You promised me pizza, bro. Yeah, yeah, you, yeah, you're like, you're wondering where the pizza is, and you're like, you promised me pizza. Here's the deal. We're going to come through on a promise, okay? There is pizza coming. It's just at the end of the event, and you're like, well, that's not fair, and I'm just like, I feel like it's fair. I'm giving you free pizza, right? Like, don't get greedy. Everybody's giving you free stuff this week. You know, hang out at the event. We'll do this thing. It won't be super long. We're all going to eat pizza afterwards. We all good? We're good? Okay, all right, cool, cool. Yeah, Woo. We like to woo a lot. I'm a big fan of that. Thanks for wooing at me. So again, my name's Jordan. This is Salt Company. Here's the deal. Here's why we do all of this is we want you to be involved in Salt Company. It's not a thing for just like a closed off group of people. We want this to be open for everybody. And we figured the best way to help you know what Salt Company is, is not to just like play some weird game and try and kind of bait and switch you into coming or like explain to you what it is. We just want to do what we do every week and just put it in the middle of campus so that you can see it. So this is what we do every week. It's not always with like this giant setup in the middle of campus. We typically meet at this place called Profile Event Center, just like a swanky wedding reception venue that we just hold up every Thursday and it's awesome. So, so typically we meet on Thursdays at eight o'clock. So we'll talk a little bit more about that. But we do this every week where we sing worship songs, live music. We talk about Jesus because we think he's actually relevant and important to life and nobody's making us be here. We all like wanna be here. And we want to invite you into that. So this is who we are. This is what we do. Now, I know for some of you, that's totally normal. And you understand this. Some of you are like freaked out by what just happened. Like we were just singing songs out loud about Jesus. And that's like one of the first times you've ever done that. And I just want you to know, we're pumped you're here. And, and maybe just like, would you hear me out? Just hang out a little bit. If, if you wouldn't consider yourself a religious person or 
If you've been burned by the church or by Christians before, I wanna say I'm sorry. I'm sorry you've had that experience. But hear me out because I think you might be surprised by what Jesus has to say. So Jesus, I'm gonna tell this story that Jesus told. And it was a story about a religious son and then a non-religious son. And Jesus at the end of the day actually ends up siding with the non-religious guy. And so just, just hear me out on this. So we're gonna talk about the story of the prodigal son. So it's from Luke 15. Some of you maybe have heard of that before. But again, there's, let me introduce you to the character. So this is a story that Jesus tells. It's called a parable. So it's got like a life lesson in it. There's three main characters. So there's two sons, a younger son who kind of goes off the rails, an older son who's sort of the moralist, thinks that he's good, thinks that he's in great shape. And then you've got the father who represents God. So whatever you hear in this story about the father, that's teaching you something about who God is. So let me read you just a section of this. Luke 15, verse 11, and he said, there was a man who had two sons and the younger of them said to the father, father, give me the share of the property that's coming to me. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country and there he squandered his property in reckless living. Okay, let me stop for a second because what just happened is really screwed up. So the younger son goes to his dad and says, hey dad, I want my inheritance. Question, when do you get an inheritance? When a person in your life just died. So in other words, what this son is saying to his dad is like, hey dad, your stuff is more important to me than you are. I wish you were dead so that I could just get my inheritance now. Really offensive stuff. But the dad just goes, okay. And he hands him his money and this dude takes off he, he probably wants to get away from the shame of doing something like that in a small town. Some of you are from a small town. I grew up in a small town. I couldn't push a kid in a snowbank without my mom knowing about it because somebody saw it and it happened. Like, so somebody, he, he wants to get away from kind of the judgmental eyes of people for what he just pulled. And so he takes off and it says he wastes his life in reckless living. So later it's gonna explain what that means. So this dude is like paying for prostitutes. He's just kind of going off the rails. And in the process, he ends up blowing all of his money. And he finds out that chasing this kind of life that he wanted, that kind of ditching his dad to go get whatever he wanted, he finds out that that makes his life worse, not better. That selfishness actually made his life worse. Now, there's a Carlson, in the kid, there's a Carlson kid in the crowd going, if you just would have invested his money, if he just would have been fiscally responsible, he would have been fine. No, Carlson kid. Uh, that's not the issue. And we love you, Carlson kid. We know you're going to like rule the world and have companies and stuff someday. You're going to be great. You're going to do great things. But that's not all that's happening. It's not just that he's not good at managing his finances. There's something else going on. Like, why did this son have to go back over and over and over again to this stuff that he thought was going to make him happy? Like, why didn't it work the first time that he went? Why did he have to spend all of his money chasing it? Because the reality is, is that he got everything that he ever wanted and it wasn't enough to make him happy. And worse yet, it wasn't enough to satisfy his soul. So here's the deal. This is a picture of sin, which is kind of a weird thing to talk about in this context, right? But here's why we're talking about this is because I want to actually be helpful to you, not just like pad our numbers. And I think this is a helpful thing for you to hear. 
Sin is essentially living a life in selfishness regardless of what God or other people in your life think about it. And this is what happens when you pursue that life is it seems like it's going to be really fun, but it actually ends up being a horrible life in the end. One of the most scary things that could happen to you is for you to get everything that you've ever dreamed about in life. And here's why. It's because the second that you get everything that you've ever wanted is the second that you'll realize that it's not enough to satisfy your soul. That living selfishly isn't actually enough to make you happy because you were born for more than that. You were meant to live with purpose, not to just kind of do whatever you want in life. And so Here's my like big point. I know it's super profound. Sin sucks. It's just, it's just not actually fun. It seems fun for a minute. It's not fun in the long run. Sin is chilling on a boat all day, shirtless with no sunscreen. Have I done it? Yes. Was it a bad idea? Yes. Felt good for a while. Warm. I'm, you know, I'm getting my tan on. Later that night, ruined my life. Literally bathing in aloe. Dumped it in a bathtub, bathed it. Okay. Sin is eating a McGriddle. And you're like, I don't eat McDonald's. Okay, fine. You don't get this. But uh, a McGriddle is literally a breakfast sandwich where the, the buns are pancakes with syrup in them. And it seems good. And then it's just like this rotting brick in your stomach. Okay. Sin feels good for a moment. But then when you give it time, it'll actually ruin your life. It doesn't actually feel good later. And so, so here's what I want you to know. I know some of you on the salon, like you're going to live however you want this year. You're going to live like the college dream. You're going to live the college lifestyle. And that's, that's your decision. But here's what I want you to know is whether it's tonight or in a couple months or it's next year, your life will tank. Like you will realize that sin sucks, that it's not as much fun as you thought it would be. You're going to wake up hungover after the party and you're still going to go back to the life that you were trying to escape from. You're going to walk out the next morning of a one-night stand feeling worse, not better. You're going to craft this image that you sort of pridefully want other people to think about you and think that you have this kind of amazing, interesting life. You're going to post it all over social media. They're going to think that you have this incredible life while you sit at home alone wondering if anyone actually likes or knows you, like the real you. At some point, you will hit that moment. And here's what I want you to know is that that is actually an opportunity to start living for something better in life. And I know that a lot of you are gonna take off from here. You're not gonna be a part of Salt Company right away. That's totally fine. I want you to know you can come back anytime you want. If you hit that moment in your life and you wanna come back, we're here, look us up. We'd love to have you. But more importantly, here's what I want you to know is that you can come back to God at any point in your life. Hear me on this regardless of what you've heard or assumed about religion, you never can be too far gone to come back to God if you want him. That's the only requirement is to want relationship with him and you can have it because here's the deal. Sin isn't what you expected it to be, but God also is not what we expected him to be. And so I want to show you this. So here's what happens in our story. So this kid goes away. He wrecks his life. He gets to this point where he's just like wrecked and humbled. And he goes, what the heck am I doing here? I need to get back to my father. So I want to read this to you again. It said, he hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. So he's, he's essentially so hungry, so desperate that he hires himself out as a slave and he was longing to feed with the pods that the pigs ate and no one gave him anything. 
So he's almost starving to death and he snaps out of it and he goes, you know what? Even the servants in my father's house are living better than I am. I should go home. He gets wrecked by his sinful life and notice that he doesn't get his life back together and then kind of come back to his dad and say, hey, I'm sorry I offended you like I realized the error of my way as I'm coming back. No, he just gets rocked, he gets humbled and in that humility he realizes his need for his father. And again, remember this father symbolizes who God is. And so this younger brother walks home and he's practicing this speech about how he's gonna sort of get his dad to let him back into the family after everything wrong that he's done. And he's probably super nervous about being rejected by his dad or by his brother or by that community because he's rolling in having thrown away everything that his family had. He threw it all away and he's probably nervous But this is what happens is as he's walking home, his dad sees him off in the distance, almost like he had been waiting for him to come home. And this is what his dad does is he runs. He sprints after his kid. Here's the deal. Middle Eastern men didn't run. It was a thing that kids did, but in their culture, they wanted to be very dignified, very restrained. He would have had to pull up like the robe that he was wearing in order to be able to run and expose his legs, which is kind of like an undignified, weird thing to do. But this dad doesn't care because the only thing that matters in that moment is that his son has come home. Here's what the text says. But while he was still a long ways off, his father saw him and felt compassion. So instead of judging him, he feels compassion on him. He sees his weakness and he says, I want to be there with him. And he ran and he embraced him and he kissed him. So the dad runs up to him. He gives him a big hug and then he throws him this like giant extravagant party. Here's the deal. The father is not what we would have expected. So here's what I think the son thought when he was coming home. I think he thought that his father would forgive him but just sort of begrudgingly. That he would sort of just be like fine with him being there, but wouldn't actually bring him back into the family. And so what the son asked him is, hey, can I be like a servant in your household? But here's what the dad does is he goes over the top and he invites him back into the family. And, and here's the thing is I think that we contend to think of God like that. We can tend to think of him as kind of this this distant being. Maybe you've heard that he's really judgmental or something like that. And we think of him as like this far off thing that that we can't really know about. And maybe at best that he just sort of allows us to hang around. Like he's okay with us being there. At worst, he's annoyed with us. But here's what I want you to know is that God runs. He runs to you. The father wasn't what they expected him to be. He didn't just tolerate the son. He invited him back into the family. So I met my wife. So I'm married. I met my wife. Yeah, thanks. Woo. Yep. Okay. Yep. That's why I did that. That's what I was going for. A little applause for my marriage. Thanks for that. Uh, So I met my wife my freshman year of college. Two weeks later, I told a buddy that I was going to marry her. Little premature. Wouldn't necessarily recommend it, but hey, Got it done, okay? It happened. It happened. And it was rough. It was rough. There's a whole story there. Got friend zone. Guys, the friend zone is almost impossible to get out of, but I got out of it, okay? And then, uh, and then we, thank you. Thank you again. Not what I was going for, but I appreciate that very much. 
And then uh, I finally bust out of this friend zone and we dated for six months and then I proposed and then we got married six months later. And you're like, maybe that seems a little fast. I'm like, I was ready to marry your like freshman year. I was ready to go. Okay, so uh, the year that she, or the summer that we were gonna get married, she went to China because she had signed up with an organization to go overseas before we even got engaged. And because of the rules of that organization, we couldn't talk very much. And so I spent an entire summer waiting for her to get home, right? And I remember like sitting at the airport waiting for her to come down the stairs. And there were all of these other people sitting next to me. And I've been like waiting all summer for this moment. There's all these other people sitting next to me. And it was fine that they were there. I guess they could have been there. It was fine. But there was this kid that was being really annoying. It's like, why are you here? I just tolerated them, right? But when Jessamy walked down the stairs, I ran. Why? Because I tolerated those people, but I loved her. This is what I'm saying. When you decide to come home and you say you want relationship with God, he runs. He doesn't just tolerate you. He's not just okay with you being there. He sprints after you because you're his kid and he loves you and he wants relationship with you. And there's nothing that you can do that will change that. And the craziest act of love, the most extravagant act of love that has ever occurred in human history was what Jesus Christ did on this earth. So this is the, the centerpiece of the Christian message. If you, know, if you wanna know what Christians are all about, this is it. Is that Jesus Christ, who is God himself, came to earth as a man. He lived a perfect life and he blew up the expectations of the majority of people that thought what they, like they knew what God would be like. And instead of hanging out with the religious people, he hang out with broken people, messed up people. He hung out with sick people, social outcasts. He hung out with quote unquote sinners. Those were the people that he spent his time with and he lived a perfect life. And then he died on a Roman cross. And here's why that's significant. Earlier, what we saw in this story is that sin and selfishness separates you from God. It's like that younger brother, that when he decided to live for himself, he had to be out of the father's presence. The same thing happens to all of us, including me, when we sin, is it separates us from the presence of God, but God didn't want to be separated from you because he loves you. And so here's what happened is he sent Jesus to be separated in your place. That's what happened on the cross is Jesus was experiencing the separation that we deserve for our sins in our place so that we don't have to be separated from him, but we can have relationship with him. And not only that, but he physically bodily got out of the grave three days later. And for some of you, that's a really weird concept. I'd love to go off about why that's actually true. I don't have time. Let's talk another time. Come to Salt Company. We'll talk about it more. But if you investigate the evidence for what happened in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago without just assuming that something like that couldn't have happened, it's the most logical explanation for why there was no body in that tomb. And here's why it's significant that Jesus rose from the dead is because he proved that he actually was who he said he was, that he was actually God who came all the way to earth to get you. And not only that, but that he had power over death, which means that you can have hope. Here's why, because if you have relationship with Jesus Christ, you have the same destiny that Jesus had, which was that death couldn't hold him and that he's gonna live for eternity. And this is what he did, is he invites you into that, is that you can have an eternity of hope with him. That's what he offers you. So this is what we were like. We were like this younger son and we came to God in our sin and our selfishness and we said, hey, I don't really care about you. I just want your stuff. 
I, I just want to chase stuff in this world to try and make myself happy. That's really all I want. Another way of saying that is kind of like, you're dead to me. Just give me your stuff. And this is what God said. He said, okay. And he died for you. And then he gave you access to everything that he has. The Bible says that we've become co-heirs with Christ. In other words, we've received the inheritance that only Jesus deserved. God said, okay, he died for you and then he handed you everything you have. That is ridiculous love. And so here's what I want you to hear. Like, I don't care what your background is. I don't care what brokenness you have in your life. I don't care what you've done to other people, what they've done to you. Whatever your background, if you've been to church every week of your life, you've never been to church in your life. If you're, if you're rich, you're poor, whatever socioeconomic background you have, whatever race you're a part of, whatever view of religion you have, whatever uh, background, whatever life experiences, whatever sexual orientation, if you want relationship with God, you can have it. You have access to him. And if you come to him, he will run to you. He wants that relationship. Now you're gonna have to figure out how to live under his roof and what it means to be a part of God's family. We're gonna talk about that at Salt Company, but here's what I want you to know. He's not keeping a record of everything that you've done wrong. The second you wanna come back, you can be with him. And not only is he not keeping a record, there's no ranking system of good and bad, good and bad people, good and bad Christians. There's just people who have trusted Jesus that he has become everything that they've ever needed. It's just relentless, ridiculous, undignified love for you because you are his kid. Now, here's the thing. There's some people that actually don't like love like that. And here's why. is because they want to earn it. They don't want kind of illogical, relentless love. They want to earn love. So that is the older brother in the story. This isn't the story about one lost brother. It's the story about two lost brothers. The religious moral guy was equally lost because here's the deal. He was relying on himself. And so when he saw the father throwing this party for the younger son, he got ticked because he said, you know what? I've earned that and my brother hasn't. And some of you are like that. You relate more to the older brother. Some of you do that with religion. You've done this Christian thing your whole life and you think you're good with God because you, you do Christian stuff and you kind of rate yourself against other people and you kind of lower them and elevate yourself and you want to perform for God and you have like good days and bad days with him depending on your performance. Or you don't have to be religious to be an older brother. You're going to be an older brother in a non-Christian way. You might not be chasing kind of the college experience and all that, but you might be chasing success. Your plan for your life might be to be like really good, to be really impressive, to grind it out, to obsess about grades, to work yourself into the ground every day, to get yourself an internship, to go get yourself a career, and then maybe your life will matter. Maybe then you'll know that you're significant because you earned it. But here's what you gotta know, is that no matter how good you are, you'll never be good enough. There'll always be someone who will be better. There'll always be the question in the back of your mind about whether you've done enough to be in relationship with God or whether you've done enough to impress other people. You'll constantly be on that treadmill. You've got to find another way. So I'm more built that way. I've been like an achiever my whole life. School, sports, work, whatever. I had to be the best. I think a lot of it came back to, I just like wanted to make my dad proud of me. So Pretty much everybody feels that. Dudes, like, I think there's something especially there that you feel between, like, a son and a dad, whether you admit it or not, that's a significant thing. 
That's like what I wanted in life. And I thought that I had to be impressive in order for that to happen. And it actually caused conflict in my relationship with my dad up until the point that he, he actually passed away when I was a junior in high school. And I remember this specific moment where I got invited to go into his office. His coworkers invited me to come in and I was standing in front of his desk and I saw these photos of myself and my sisters. And you know what they all said to me? Like, even though I didn't know these people, it was like they knew me. And here's what they all said. Your dad was so proud of you. And I had missed it the whole time because I was so busy trying to earn it that I missed the fact that he already was. And I realized that the love of a father doesn't come from their kid being impressive. It comes from the character of the dad. And now I realize that even more that I'm a dad. So I, I, uh, I'm a dad. I got a nine-month-old kid. Some of you are like, oh my gosh, he's not in college. Literally no one's thinking that. I know, cat's out of the bag. <laughs> starting to look old in the face. Um, I've got a nine-month-old kid. And here's the deal. I am just like illogical dad proud. And I've actually got a photo of him. Check this out. That's my kid. The, the one with the rolls, he's chubby and it's amazing. And I love it. And he's just chilling like this, just kind of like, yeah, I'm in a pool. I got rolls. Look, caption contest on that photo. Don't think about it now. Listen to the rest of this. But then afterwards, come tell me your caption for that photo. Here's the deal. That, his name's Graham. He can't do anything impressive. He's nine months old. He's bad at being human. He hasn't figured it out yet. But when he like, he like does this with his hands sometimes, I'm like, oh my gosh, my kid's amazing. <laughs> Why? Because it's not about his performance. It's about the fact that he's my kid. This is what I'm saying. You're God's kid. He loves you. He's got illogical dad pride. It's not quit performing, just show up, just come to him, like lay down your performance and depend on him. All right, so let's finish this out. What's going to be your story in college? Like, seriously, what are you here to do? Like, some of you are going to do the younger brother thing, and you're going to live it up. You're going to have the college experience or whatever. But you're going to find out really quick that just living for yourself isn't actually that satisfying. It's not that fun, and you're going to want something more. You're going to want purpose in your life. Or some of you are going to do the older brother thing. Some of you will come to Salt Company and, and that'll make you feel like you're good and religious. Or you can older brother your way like right through school into this amazing successful career. But there's always going to be that kind of nagging thing in the back of your mind that maybe there's more that you should have done. Maybe you needed to do more than you actually did. Maybe you haven't done enough. Here's what I think you guys want. It's what we all want. You want a purposeful life, one where you're not just wasting it on selfishness and sin, but you're living for something bigger than yourself. But you also want one that's full of grace, where even when you screw up, you still can be a part of that thing that's bigger than you. And I'm telling you, that is offered to you in Jesus Christ. And we would love for you to come be a part of that in Salt Company. Here's the deal. Salt Company is not that impressive. We don't have the answers for you, but Jesus does. And here's what Salt Company is. It's a bunch of people trying to take ourselves 
not super seriously, understanding that we're all broken people, but take Jesus very seriously because we think he matters and we think that he's got something to say for our lives and we wanna figure out what that is and what it would look like to live for him. And we want you to come be a part of that. We'd love for you to come check it out with us. All right, let me pray. Yeah, God, thanks for this. Um, Thanks for this time we've got together. Thanks for everybody on this lawn and their stories and um, all the things that you've done in their lives. And God, I just pray that you would help us to believe that this is true. It's so easy to to either perform or just like kind of live our own life and think that we can just kind of do our own thing and none of that stuff satisfies. And so we want to get to know you, figure out what you're about, figure out what you would have to say about our lives. And, and Jesus, thanks that you didn't leave us, that when we come back, that if anybody in this crowd wants to come home tonight, that all they have to do is come to you and just say, hey, I want relationship with you and you will say yes. You, you want relationship with us. Thank you for that, God. And thank you for providing the way that, that there's no other way we can get there except through Jesus Christ. He's our answer. He's our solution. He's the only one that was good enough to have relationship with you. And so we trust him. Thanks for the chance to be here together tonight. Thanks for the chance to sing together. Help us to, uh, yeah, engage in that and enjoy this moment we've got together. Amen.